Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading before today's um, lesson is, comes from Psalm chapter 29. The entire Psalm chapter 29. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of wholeness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You may be seated. Good morning. Sometimes before I preach, as we're worshiping, I have this, this sense that I feel sad for you because I, uh, I know what the sermon's going to be about. And sometimes the sermon has an impact on my worship. And that was true this morning because I'm going to be talking about worship. And, and I always, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day we'll just shift everything and I'll just start with a sermon and then we'll sing the songs. And these, these songs have been so very conducive to our worship. There, there are things in my life that I want to be better at. And I mean, so, so think about that in your own life. What kinds of things do you have that you would really like to improve on? And maybe you think about I want to be better, a better, better husband. I could do that. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better parent. Maybe it's something superficial. Maybe it's something more mundane. I want, to, I want to improve my golf swing. I want to make that better. Today's lesson is, is about worship. Worship is a skill that everybody in this room of any age ought to want to improve. I want to be better at it. I want to be better and better and better at how I express my worship to my God. I think about God reaching down to us, and think about in your life right now, every time you, you pray to him, I suppose you make some reference to what he's given you and you thank him. And sometimes we enumerate those things, and it's a wonderful, it's a good thing to do to say, here are the things that I'm most grateful for today, and we thank him. We, but, but in so doing, what we're doing is attributing those things to his hand, that he's reaching down to us and providentially giving us those things. He's blessing us with those things, and in my life, it's just been abundant, and I just have so much to thank him for. But when I thank him, I'm attributing the credit for those things to him. He reached down, as it were, and he's given those things to me. He's blessed me in those ways. Worship is how I reach to heaven, back to him. Worship is what I do in response to that. I offer my obeisance to my God. This uh, elders meeting this past week on Tuesdays, and the elders meet every, and preachers meet every Tuesday night, just about almost everyone. 
And, and some reference was made to the church in, in, in Kharkov, in Ukraine. We've been involved in that congregation for decades now. And we, we love those folks. But there's been bombing in the vicinity of Kharkov. And so we're very eager to keep in close contact. And so far, we've been able to have that contact with those Christians. And their building is safe. And so far as we know, they're safe. But what's interesting is the pictures that are coming back. And I've been there a few times, and some others in this room have been to Kharkov and worshipped in that congregation. Wonderful people, love those people. But what we've observed is that the numbers are increasing. And you can look in that auditorium now, you know, you say, wow, that's that's great. That's really great. New Christians are, people are obeying the gospel and becoming Christians, and it's very exciting. And the, the building is just pretty full for worship on the Lord's Day. And then... Someone else in the room said, that's what happens when people are being bombed. That's not hard to figure out. I mean, you know, if if we were undergoing the kinds of things they were facing, I suppose that we could surely, I mean, if it ever happens in Huntsville, Alabama, I surely expect that we're going to have people lined up out there to come to worship God because they're going to feel the need at that point. They're going to want to worship their creator. The secret, of course, the key here would be to to be able to do that, to worship him with that kind of spirit, that kind of intensity without the bombing. All right, so here's four things I wish everybody in the world knew about worship. And that's how I want to phrase this and start it. Four things I wish everybody in the world knew about worship. This is not a sermon about the kinds of things we should do in worship, what's appropriate or inappropriate so far as the acts of worship, the avenues of worship. That's not what what it's, it's not about a, a corporate thing. This is going to be personal. This is about my worship and your worship personally. And the first thing is, there's a difference between praise and worship. They're not the same thing. Now, I understand they're similar, and there are some similarities, correlations between the two. But let's start here. Barna did a survey a few years ago, George Barna did, in which he asked people who were professing Christians about, about their worship. And most, most people would agree that Christians are obligated to worship, but in that study, two-thirds of them were unable to give an accurate or clear definition of what worship really is. Let's see if we can do that. The, the Greek word is proskuneo. Now, I say that because this is overwhelmingly in the New Testament the word that is, uh, is the one that correlates to our English word worship. This is the one. The word worship is in the New Testament about 72 times in the English. This word is used 60 of those 72. So this is the, this is the walking down the street common definition. You look at proskuneo and you're thinking about worship. And so what is, what is proskuneo? What's the definition in, in Strong's Greek lexicon? Did you ever, ever ever have a dog and, and in the evening he walks up to your chair and if your hand, your hand is hanging down there, he starts licking on your hand, and you look down, and his ears are, are back, and he is absolutely humble before you, and he just, he just eases up, and he wants your attention. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the illustration used in Strong's lexicon for the word proskuneo. It, it's for the word worship, to prostrate oneself in homage or to, to do reverence to to worship, an expression of profound reverence in the New Testament by kneeling or prostration to do homage or to make obeisance. That's, that's worship. Now, 
Isn't it true that praise is worship? Praise to God, uh, praise in general, just in a generic way, is a word that, that, that sometimes can be used for worship, and we use it that way sometimes. But I just want you to see that, that worship is a much deeper concept than just praise. Now, see, we use praise in reference to one another. It's not uncommon around here for us to praise one another for the good things. And, and the word praise actually means to recount other people's qualities and, and good qualities, and we do it in a joyful way. And so uh, we, we, might, we, we might praise uh, Gary for his light work he's been doing. He's been working on the lights. And say, well, we really, and we've been talking to him sometimes about that. And Gary, this is a great job you're doing. Thank you for all your work. We may praise the elders because they're so sacrificial. They spend so much time. And we may say to them, we're so fortunate to have you sir, uh, leading us in this congregation. We're so grateful for all that you do. And, and say, what I'm doing is praising them. That's not a bad thing. That's not an inappropriate thing. It is to recount uh, what is true about the actions of others in a joyful and a positive way. I've seen our elders do it many times with people who come in to talk about various things, to hear them say, maybe to a deacon, for example, thank you, you're just doing such a great job. Thank you for doing this and this and this, and you do it with such a great spirit. Or maybe sometimes if somebody's moving away and we say, the elders would say to them, thank you so much for all that you've meant to this church. That's praise. It is appropriate to praise God. Here's Psalm chapter 18 and verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. But worship is deeper. The word worship has a deeper meaning than that. And so we go to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8, and Jesus says, these people draw nigh to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. What's that? That's praise. But then he said, yeah, but the heart's not there. Praise is something that could be superficial, and the heart's not there. Worship is a deeper matter than that. Worship, proskuneo, is a deeper matter. And here's, I'm going I'm to put a definition to it, and, and uh, you try this on for size and see if it resonates with you. Worship, according to proskuneo, to the Greek word here, literally means to lose oneself in the adoration of another. It means to lose oneself in the adoration of another. If we're not careful as human beings, when we profess to offer worship to our God, we're really still hung up on worshiping ourselves. We're still the, we're, we're still the centerpiece. But true worship is not that. It's to lose oneself in the adoration of our God. It is to sing these praises. And when we do, the, 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 the sense that we have of our own importance just goes away. It just melts away. And we're focused on the worship of him. So number one, there's, a, there's a, a slight distinction there between the word praise and the word worship. Now here's the second thing that I wish everybody in the world knew about worship. Satan has offered a great delusion about Christian worship. And I suppose you could say there are others, and maybe this is not the only one, but I want to throw this one out because I think it's a big one. When I say it to you, and we talked about this in Q&A recently, when I say it to you, if you haven't thought about it, it's going to seem to make sense. It'll resonate. It'll seem like this, this, is, uh, this could be true. And here it is. Ready? But it's false. It's not true. But here it is. Everything a Christian does in his life is worship. Worship is a word that describes 
everything we do in our Christian walk, everything we do in our Christian life. Again, I told you, I told you, when you first hear it, you say, well, yeah, sure, I mean, because that's got to be right. We're, we're living a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. We're, I mean, we're living for Christ, and so everything we do in life is worship. What's the problem with that? Ready? The problem with it is that it elevates the mundane to the sacred. There's a difference between eating a pizza and eating the Lord's Supper. To say that everything we do in life is worship is to elevate the mundane to the sacred. But in the same stroke, what it does is to diminish the sacred to be no more important than the mundane. If everything we do is sacred, then nothing is sacred. And so there's a verse. Uh, there's a verse that's abused. And I just want to spend a second on this. But when people argue this, uh, what, what happens is that they have this verse that's often, often presented. And it's Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, ready for this, which is your reasonable service. Now, that last word is the important word. Your reasonable service. I told you the main Greek word in the New Testament is proskuneo. But there's another one that is sometimes translated worship. And it's latreia. Latreia is used much less frequently. And when you look at the definition, the the first definition is not worship. It's a word that means service. It it means service. Now you could translate it worship. And we, we do this sometimes. Sometimes we'll make reference to the worship service. Is it true that our worship is a service that we offer to God? Well, yeah, yeah, it is. That doesn't mean that that all service, though, is worship. All service is not worship. All of our lives as Christians is to the glory of God, but not all of our lives is worship. I want to show you something interesting then that happened. The word should be translated service. We are are a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service, Some translations change that word to be worship. Ready for that? That our lives are living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship. And what that does is just to paint with a broad brush. Now, I'll tell you something else. If there were some some things that I wanted to do in worship today that that aren't authorized in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to tell you, for those of you who are visiting, we we really work hard. Maybe, I don't know if it shows, but we work very hard to go back to the Scriptures and be the New Testament church in reference to our worship. And so the things that we do and the ways that we do them, and sometimes, you know, people look and they say, that's kind of strange, I don't get that. Why? why?" Well, it's because of Scripture. It's because we go back and we say, how did they do it? What did they do that was pleasing to God for worship, and why don't we do that? We, We just want to restore the New Testament church and be the church that Jesus was talking about when he said, on this rock I'll build my church. Well, I can think of lots of things people are doing today in worship that are not authorized in Scripture. I saw a video recently of of a worship on the Lord's Day, and there were, there were people dancing on the, on the stage, and there was, there's art for the Lord. And so they had someone up, up painting a picture 
And I think it had some religious theme at the end, but she started with a canvas, and she paints a picture to the Lord as they're singing, and there's preaching, and she's painting. And there's so many things to paint. You know, a lot of, a lot of churches today, what, what the big deal is, is who can have the best band? Can you have a great, a great guitarist and a keyboardist and maybe some drums? I don't know. But, and you say, wait a minute. Come on, hold on. Hold on. Put the brakes on this because isn't worship about worshiping him? Isn't this about what God would be pleased with? The answer is, if everything we do in life is worship, then anything would be okay for you to do at home would be okay for you to do in worship on the Lord's day. Got it? Anything that would be appropriate for somebody, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe an elder would call a couple or go see them and knock at the door and say, we've been missing you. Uh, we haven't seen you in the last couple of weeks in worship, and I just wanted to know if you're okay. Is everything all right? What if the man responded, because he believed this, what if he responded and said, well, I, look, I, I was in worship. Everything I do is worship, so don't you worry about me. I'm, you know, I'm fine, right? Why wouldn't that be a legitimate argument? Do you see where we're going with this? Anything that would be all right for you to do at home would be all right to present to God in worship if everything we do is worship. Frankly, I think, that's the very reason why somebody originated this argument to begin with. Now, let me give you a quote, just so you know I'm not making this up. Jim McWiggin, I believe he's deceased now, but I, I heard him preach one time and, and I met him and we visited, but um, come, back to that, come back to that slide, will you? Let's do that slide again, back up one. Just so you see how, I told you they're translated differently, ASV, KJV, New King James, and you see how this goes. And these are the translations at the bottom where I, I think the translators had a little agenda that eased up in there, and, and they translated it worship. Well, next slide now. Here's Jim McWiggin, a very friendly man, in his book on Romans. Ready for this? Worship is as broad as the Christian life. The man who lawfully offers to God what, what, what pleases, I didn't, I've got an extra what, pleases God is worshiping God. Involved in that life of worship is paying debts, providing for one's family, doing good as well as other items that are commonly associated with worship. Worship, in, worship involves things like playing golf, brushing, brushing one's teeth, washing one's hands, and the like. You know, he just, he just said it out loud, that's all he did. He just, he just so... Is everything we do in life worship? And the answer is no. And I'm telling you, it's a great delusion of the devil. It is the great, it's the great delusion. I'm going to do one more thing before I leave this point. Just appreciate that in the Scripture, worship always has a beginning time and an ending time. It proves that, that it's not true that everything we do in life is worship. Everything we do in life, and here's your word, is to glorify God. But not everything we do in life is worship. Now, walk through some scriptures that use the word worship, and let me demonstrate this. So here's 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 3. And Elkanah is the husband of Hannah, and the Bible says that this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. He went to the tabernacle yearly. What for? For the purpose of worship. That is to say that he traveled in order to do this. He wasn't doing it before he got there. He did it when he got there. Got it? 
The first time the word worship is used in your Bible is Genesis 22 and verse 5. And, and Abraham is taking his son Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. And he said to one of the servants, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Now get the point. It isn't the case that everything we do in life is worship. Everything we do in life, including what he's doing right there, is certainly to the glorification of God. He was glorifying God, but he wasn't worshiping God. He was going up on the mountain for the purpose of doing that. Matthew chapter 2 is interesting about this. And um, verse 2, verse 8, verse 11, you'll be hearing a lot about this in December. Verse 2, the wise men said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, they weren't worshiping him when they were on their trip to do this. They said, we've come for the purpose of worshiping him. You get down to verse 8, and old wicked Herod, good sorry, old sorry wicked Herod said, you, you find him, and when you do, bring him to me so that I can worship him. Now, Herod was a vile man, but I tell you, he understood something about worship, and he didn't believe that everything we do in life is worship. He said, you bring him to me, and when you do, then I will worship him. Now, verse 11. Next slide. And when they had come into, into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. What's worship? Worship is the emptying myself and the adoration of another. And that's what they did. They fell down and they worshiped him. Let's do one more. Here's, here's Acts chapter 8 and the Ethiopian. What's he doing? He had been to Jerusalem to worship. It just illustrates the point again that he, hadn't, he wasn't worshiping all the time. It's not the case that everything we do in life is worship. He was, it, it's punctuated with a beginning time and an ending time. He was going in order to worship. Now, I underscore that for the reason that that worship contains sacred things. And what we've done this morning in this room, when you ate the Lord's Supper, that's unique. It's not something that, that we do every day. It's something we do on the Lord's Day. And we do it according to what the New Testament says. And we eat the unleavened bread, and we drink the fruit of the vine, and we do it in worship to Him, in obeisance to Him. And we lose ourselves in adoration of him. And we think about the cross and we rehearse that, all that happened at the crucifixion. And we do that because he said to do it. We do it the way that he wants us to do it. We must not mix the sacred with the mundane. Worship is, is made up of, of avenues or particular activities that God has designated in order for us to show him obeisance. Now, here's number three. It's this, God approves only the worship that's done the right way with the right heart. Are you familiar with John chapter 4, probably? And Jesus came to this woman at the well. It's a great text. She's in Samaria, and the Samaritans were a mongrel race. They were part Hebrew and part Assyrian, and so you have this conflict. Can you imagine in this part of the country that we're talking about that there was conflict Buddy, there's always been conflict. There was conflict now. And, and why Jesus would even speak to a Samaritan woman is just a marvel, but he does. And she's shocked that he would talk to her at that well. And I, I won't take the time to go through the whole ch chapter, but it's, it's a remarkable discussion. He said, he said, salvation is of the Jews. I think he was talking about himself. Not that the Jews were the more righteous, most righteous people of the world. I don't believe that was true. But what was true is that the Messiah was coming through the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. 
And then he talked about worship. And he says, I'm, I'm going to be now in verse, let's, let's read in verse 23. Jesus said to her, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the first thing is the object of the worship. Very important to get this. Everybody in the world, everybody in the world ought to understand this about worshiping God. It's the object of the worship. He says, we ought to worship the Father. Now, in some places, the challenge of that is whether or not we should worship someone else or God. Sometimes in some cultures, it's should we worship an idol instead of worshiping Jehovah God, Yahweh God. I don't think that's our problem. I don't, I don't, that's not, I don't think that's it. Our, our problem is worshiping ourselves. Barna did another study in, among people who are professing Christians and asked him about worship. And what is clear when you say, why do you worship? Or what do you do when you worship? Most of the respondents would say something that had to do with what they got from it. Let that soak in. It is not wrong to get something from worship, and I hope, you get, I hope you get a lot from worship. I can't wait to worship. I'm eager to worship, and the fact is, I love what I derive from coming and worshiping my God. It's a very personal thing that's inside me. It needs to be inside of everybody in this room. When we assemble for worship, it's a, very, it's a public thing, but it's an individual thing. But what I, what I derive is not the primary purpose of what I'm doing, not the activity I'm involved in. That's a, that's a second, but it's not a close second. It's a far down second. What I get from it is not the point. The point is that I am, I am doing something, offering something to my God. He says, you're to worship the Father. Listen closely. The religious world has lost its mind on this point. Because worship comes into, who we're worshiping comes into question. If what if the criteria by which we decide what to do in worship is what do we think would be the coolest thing, then we're worshiping the wrong one. What is it that I would enjoy the most? What would please me the most? And that's what we should do. In, what, would, what would please the most people? If that's what we do in worship, we're worshiping the wrong one. The object of the worship has to be the Father. But then he says, I want you to do it in spirit and in truth. Now, to worship... In, in spirit, I think it's more difficult than to worship in truth. At least around, uh, around here it is. I think, we, I think we have studied the Bible and we have a grasp, a good grasp, on what is authorized in Scripture for worship. You can read the New Testament and anybody can do that and figure it out. Here's what, here's what he authorizes for Christians to do in worship. And worshiping in truth has to mean only one thing. It's in contrast to the Spirit. The Spirit is my attitude about it. The truth is what I'm doing. And I can, I can do what's authorized by God. Here's what the Bible says. The early Christians did with God's approval. But what about the Spirit? There, see, there's the booger right there. That's the tough one. How you doing on that? How you doing? On the spirit of worship. And this morning, how you doing on, on this being, proskuneo, where, where you empty yourself in adoration of God, because it is so easy to come in here and feel like, because I'm sitting in this room with these people, that's good worship. No, it's not. Eh, not by itself. No, that wouldn't be true. 
Worship is a skill. I, worship on the Lord's Day like we're doing now ought to be something that we prepare for. I, I, don't, I don't like to stay up late on Saturday nights, partly because of what I say I want to be lucid. But I, I want to give him my very best, and that takes focus. When I, when I write my sermons, I, I spend, I'm, I'm not bragging about this, but I spend, I spend hours on every one. And, and I wish, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, but every one of my sermons goes through quite a number of, of editions that get thrown away before I like it. Before I say, this is the best I can do. I think this addresses the subject in the best way that I know how to do it. And, and, then, I, and then I preach, and I'm so blessed to get to do that. Paul Owen is the best I've ever, ever seen at opening a worship assembly. I mean, what he did this morning was just, but I'm going to tell you something. He didn't just come in this room and think, I wonder what I'll say this morning. I can tell you that Paul Owen spends a lot of time to be that good at what he's doing to help us start our worship. And, and you could go on and on about that. What, what we do is to give him our very best. And what that means is that worship is a skill. And we want to be better and better at it. We want to be better and better at losing ourselves in adoration of Him. Wesley said, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. All right, here's the last one. I want us to learn this principle from the Psalms. Here's a challenge. Ready? Don't, don't offer God superficial worship. We, we've got to kill that in, us, in ourselves. It's a very personal thing. I can't look at you and tell you how, how you're doing on this, and you can't look at me and tell how I'm doing about this. So this is between you and God. This is very, very personal. How are you doing on the, the quality of the worship that you're offering Him? We've we got to keep getting better. We've got to keep working at this and deliberately come and worship Him in this kind of obeisance, this kind of adoration. This is Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise. I, I, I underlined some words I want you to get. And I'm quoting from the King James. This is New King James. But I memorized it in King James, so that's what you're going to get. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Ready? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Now just soak that in and see the spirit of worship. That needs to be me. It needs to be the way I see it. Now, one more, and then I'm going to be done. Psalm 95, verse 1. I want to read seven verses. There's a part in the middle I'm going to pause at and show you it's the spirit of worship that you and I must cultivate. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. How you been doing on that this morning? How you been doing on singing to the rock of your salvation? Do you see what's happening in that is that we lose ourselves in the adoration of him. And we, it's partly praise too because we're describing him in our minds of who he is. He's the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. 
Why should we do that? Why, why should we do that? For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. And this is the part that I want to read slowly. I want you to get this because this is it. Here's the description. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. This is the level of thought that ought to characterize you and me when we worship him. Now, I want you to look at that again and appreciate the fact that that's not, that's not very much like the mundane. That's not very much like thinking about what we're going to have for lunch in a few minutes. That's not about that. It's not anywhere near that. This is about losing ourselves in the adoration of him. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Coming to worship is easy. Worshiping is a skill and a challenge. Praise is wonderful, but, but praise is not the same depth of the soul as worship. We, we sometimes worship God in praise, and that's a wonderful thing. But one may praise and not worship. We praise humans. Not everything we do in life is worship. Because, because what you pull away is the sacred. I mean by that, sacred is isolated from the mundane. We come here to offer him the things he's requested, the things he wants, the things approved by God. And through those actions, through those avenues, we, we reach to the one who every single day is reaching to us in his providential care. And we offer him our worship. I'm so glad that you're here. It occurs to me that somebody might be here who has been studying about the gospel. And I want to be closer to God. And I want to obey him. And I want to follow Jesus Christ. And you can, you can become a Christian. The Bible teaches that the way that you do that is by repenting of your sins based on your belief that he is the son of God. That's truly who he is, and he is. And based on that, you repent of your sins. Repentance means to change your mind. I, I don't want to live that way. I don't, I, I've lived in sin for a long time, whatever that sin or those sins happen to be. I want to turn. I'm not, I know that I won't be perfect, but no, you won't. But, but I want to strive every day to be a Christian. That's repentance. It means to change your mind. And you must confess Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what, that's what people in the first century in the, in the New Testament would confess. Do you believe that? If so, then, then you need to, to become a Christian by being immersed in water. I didn't, I didn't originate that. I, I, didn't, I, I doubt I would have ever thought it up if it were me. It's not about me. It's the one who died on the cross for you who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And you should do that if you haven't. We'll be happy to baptize you today. If you're already a Christian and you, you need the prayers of the Christians, maybe, maybe you need to help to get something straightened out in your life, some sin that's wrapped around you and you want to be free from it and you need the prayers of Christians, we'd be so happy to do that with you.
We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.